Beneath the clothes, we find a man. And beneath the man, we find his nucleus. Hello, everybody, and welcome to A Hispanard. Another week, another year, another turning of the wheel of life. What am I talking about? Well, today's my birthday. Thank you to everyone that reached out and uh, wished me a happy birthday. I really appreciate it a ton. It was probably the kind of birthday uh, that might be weird to some, but to me it was like, the kind of birthday I think that I I need nowadays. <laughs> it's uh, it's another form of self care, um, and it's so funny. And I and I'll I'll explain this in a second. Well, I'll explain it now. Um, you know, well, okay, yeah, I'll explain in a second. I guess I'll get to it like I do with all my rambling. One thing that I've noticed as I've gotten older is that. Um, I expect less and less. And that's not to say that I'm lowering my standards or that I have given up on humanity <laughs> or anything like that. And uh, what I mean by uh, expecting less and less is as I get older, you know, I all the sentimentality that goes with, uh, you know, a birthday and uh, celebrate being celebrated. Uh, it doesn't. It does. It, it means a lot. It, it's extremely appreciated. So I think I want to. I think I want to put that out at the very start. You know, I I don't want to sound ungrateful. I don't want to sound unappreciative. Nothing like that. I mean, it it means a lot to me that people reach out. That my family. Uh, would go out of their way to to celebrate me, you know, my beautiful wife, the kiddos, everybody. I'm I'm really really grateful. I think what I'm trying to get at is that um, I find myself as I get older becoming more and more low maintenance, you know, where there's not like this uh, anticipation slash expectation from me on receiving anything. You know, there, and because I don't, I don't have that expectation, and I don't have that uh, that internal demand. Everything becomes much more pleasant. So, you know, I took the day off from work. I told my wife what my plans were. Um, I I wanted to have just a, a easy going day where I went to one of my favorite places, actually two of my favorite spots, which is. Uh, you know, Disney Studios and uh, Disney Consumer Products. Having, you know, working for Disney has certain privileges. So I got to go check out the the second floor where Marvel Studios is at the H.G. Wells building. And that was really cool. I, I love that space up there. I'd never been up there before. Um, I got to go, you know, do a little bit of shopping. Found some really awesome, I mean, just beautiful 
uh, posters uh, that were uh, that are Agents of Shield artwork posters that were done for the show, and they are fantastic. I mean, just a super great find for me personally as a big fan of that show. And uh, I got to visit a comic book store that I'd never been to before while I was out in that, you know, in, in the L.A. area, deep in L.A., you know, Hollywood, uh, Burbank, all that stuff. And then I got to go to one of my all-time favorite spots. Huge shout out to Stuart NG Books. It is one of my, hands down, one of my favorite places in L.A. County. It is the, if you're an artist, it is an artist dream the place is incredible. They carry a selection that is very difficult to find. And more to the point, you might be able to find all the stuff that they carry online in various sites like Amazon and things like that. But there's nothing quite like walking into a place and picking up a book and just being able to, you know, run through it, feel it, look at the artwork. Like it's, it's for me, it's one of my favorite things, which actually is uh, uh, the reason that I love this this uh, convention called Lightbox so much. Lightbox is an artist convention for artists, and that's what this place feels like. This place is a bookstore, you know, that is, that is uh, all about artists, and it's for artists as well. So, it, it, you know, I, I cannot recommend them enough. If you get a chance, look them up, Stuart. NG Books. They're in the city of Torrance. Fantastic spot. Highly recommend it for anybody that's an art lover, anybody that wants to find, uh, you know, rare books. It, you will definitely find them there. So that's my recommendation slash shout out to uh, Stuart NG Books. So anyway, with all that, I'm not trying to say that I, you know, don't want to spend time with the family or spend time with friends or anything like that, or that my low maintenance really is just a, another way of getting some me and some alone time. No, I, I totally, we're actually doing something together as a family. And, and uh, you know, we're, even though it's a celebration of my birthday, really, it's just a cool time to hang out with the family, be together, eat together. You know, one of our favorite things to do is to break bread together. So uh, definitely looking forward to that. And again, I so much appreciate people reaching out. That's fantastic and, and really heartwarming. And, and I love you guys for that. But I like the fact that I'm not expecting anything. I like the fact that, um, you know, I don't have that thing inside me anymore where I I want a gift or I'm expecting a gift or I'm, you know, I, I, I had that in me. I think that's my, my bigger point that I'm trying to make is I grew up, you know, I, I talked a little bit about this. You know, I have a sister, really fantastic person, love her to death. Shout out to you. Hide Woo. But, um, we grew up, you know, poor, basically. I, both of our parents worked. We were latchkey kids our parents did the best that they could with what they had. And, uh, and you know, looking back, even though we were definitely like super low income, like our parents were able to provide everything that we needed, there wasn't any room for any kind of excess necessarily. And yet still, they really tried their best and, and really worked hard at that. And, you know, I look back now, 
at that time and look back at my parents and their effort, and I'm so appreciative. But in the moment and at the time, I, I you know, I grew up with uh, just this real wanting and longing, and and really, I, I hate to say it, but this feeling of greediness, you know, and that was definitely my shortcomings. It was me not being in the moment and appreciating what I had. And, um, so it, you know, it made it, it made it for a weird, tough life. It it made it tough wanting more growing up, you know, desiring what other people had. I really came to understand what it meant to covet things, you know, what, what the meaning behind that was the, you know, the classic 10 commandment meaning of, of, you know, thinking ill of people and wanting the things that they want, you know, that was, um, that was definitely something that I struggled with big time. And I think not just age, but also perspective coming from the people around you, the people that you love and that love you, and also learning, you know, tough lessons and easy lessons, the lessons that are put in front of you. I think you know, there's a lot of things that have shaped, uh, you know, uh, such as my wife and my friends and definitely my kiddos, you know, it shaped my perception of, you know, what it is that I, I really want or what it is that I really need or what, it, you know, or, or to look and to see what I, you know, what I really have and what what is the thing that means the most to me. And uh, there was a point in time where I, I definitely didn't value things that were given to me as much as the things that I got on my own. And as I've gotten older, and, and, you know, and it depends on the source for sure of where it's coming from. Uh, And I think that's always going to be the case. Hopefully if you're not super narcissistic and you're able to step outside of yourself and, and you're not, you know, like I said, just focused on you all the time, then I, I think, um, you know, a, a more balanced person would be able to appreciate the things that they get. And I, and that's, I guess that's my bigger point is that I was pretty imbalanced and I was definitely, you know, this, I had this longing for things. And, um, I look around me now, you know, I'm in my, my podcast slash art studio and, uh, all the things that are around me that, that are inspiration, that are fuel for, you know, my artistic mind. Um, I've, I have this slight detachment for these things now. And I, I think it's great. I, I, I'm not sad about it. I'm not, you know, obviously there's still things that I, I love to collect and, and things that I love to look at and things that I appreciate, but I've begun to think long-term, like, what do I want to do with these things? So at some point in the future, like, how do I want them to be managed? Because I don't want them to go into a garbage dump. I don't, you know, and I don't want them to just be sold off. Like I, I need to, you know, I should start accounting for things for the future and and how I want these things to be um, stewarded and cared for. Because I, I think that is how I can appreciate the things that I have. That's how I can show that I appreciate the things that I have. And, you know, some of the stuff has come from definitely from hard earned from other people. Like I have this 
wonderful easel that I just purchased through a gift card that was given to me. And it was something that I needed because there's a project that I'm working on. And, you know, it made my job 10 times easier to purchase something that is very much needed, that is a utility and, and it's a tool. And yet I can admire it as well as a, as a well-crafted thing. And it's a piece of art. And I, and I want to start thinking like, who would that go to? When, you know, at some point I won't be painting anymore and I won't be drawing anymore. And that, that part of my life will be over. And if I make peace with it now, I don't have to be sad about it later. I can, I can pass this thing along and bring joy to somebody else. And so, you know, I need to start taking my collection, uh, taking care of my collection uh, much better than I already do. Uh, I think I, I need to bag and board all my books. I need to make sure that, you know, that everything is well maintained so that at some point in the future, if my kids decide they want to sell it, then it, there's value to it. If I have people that I can give stuff away to, then there's value to it in that. And, um, you know, and I, and I can have that mindset of, uh, or at least, you know, I appreciate that I'm developing that mindset of not having to hoard everything and keep everything and, and live in the 10 year old me and, and say, mine, 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 mine. And no one will ever have this as opposed to like, Oh, you know what? I'm just a steward of this stuff. This stuff is going to stay with me for a while. And at some point it's going to go to somebody else and then they're going to find enjoyment out of it. And, Maybe if I fostered that in in my children and uh, and with other people as I'm explaining things like, hey, I'm giving this to you because I want you to be a good steward of it now. And I want it to continue to live and, and to exist and to be enjoyed because that's what we do right now when we find antiquities, right? You find an old Roman coin or you find a dagger or an arrowhead, you know, an, uh, a Native American arrowhead or you know, some kind of really awesome African spear or or we find a, a monolith, you know, we find these things and we we cherish them because they have some meaning to the past and then they have some meaning to us and there's a connection to the past through that. And I think some of the items that we um, tend to collect for people that are collectors, and I wasn't even intending for this to become a, a collector's, you know, episode, but I think this is a... a grateful for what I have episode, you know, grateful for another year of life episode, and then also a, a collector's episode. So uh, this is what stream of thought gets you. There is no plan. There's just moving forward with whatever pops into my head. But as I look at this stuff, like I, I'm looking at something right now, I have an original piece of artwork of uh, Nine Nub that is a sketch card. And the artist that did it, is it's just such a beautiful job. It, I mean... I'm looking at it and I, this is the kind of stuff that I do. And I'm looking at this card and I'm like, man, just knocked it out of the park. And in fact, let's, let's give this artist a shout out right now. Maggie Ransom. And let me see. Uh, oh yeah. She's got her, her uh, initials on here. Uh, MR, but the artist name is Maggie Ransom. Just beautiful, beautiful work. Uh, it's done in, in, uh, monochrome and you know like a black and white and just I, I, I look at this card and it brings me a ton of joy you know and so I think that's what these things 
that's what they should do. You should look at them and, and they just bring you joy. I have a tiny little, uh, not tiny, but I mean small little vodka skull head that I I purchased a long time ago. It was filled with vodka, vodka, but it's a glass head. And I thought, man, I want it less for the vodka, although that ended up being tasty. I made a drink for me and my wife with it uh, from this recipe that I found online. But, um, you know, it it's filled with my um, airbrush uh, paint. And I love looking at it. It's a piece of art that has paint in it that I use in turn to make art with. And I think that's super cool. I have a ton of Copic markers. I'm a Copic marker fiend. I have a bunch of graphic novels. I have a uh, my wonderful friend uh, Justin hooked me up with these two incredible books. Uh, Transformers uh, number one from way back in the day. I think it's like a 1980s book with Bill Senswick artwork in the front. I got that graded and then I have a first appearance at Deadpool that I got graded as well. Man, just really cool one's an investment one is uh, a keepsake you know the transformers one i i uh, I, th- I think i've said this before but transformers was the first time that i really locked into morality and it was the first time that i locked into what it meant for you know sacrifice and a hero long before i found jesus i found optimus prime and optimus prime was i was like man that's the kind of guy that i want to be like selfless you know a warrior uh you know kind uh, you, you know, uh, sacrificing himself for, for the, for the needs of others and, you know, and the greater good. So I'm looking at a, uh, Optimus Prime, uh, hot toy sideshow collectible right now that is so detailed. It's insane. It's just beautiful. And then I, I bought his, uh, so <laughs> I've got this, uh, I've got this thing going with my wife. Whenever I do convention, I can spend 10% of whatever I make. So it really is incentivizes me to sell while I'm at the convention. And, you know, I'm, I'm never like uh, one of those grimy seller people like, hey, what's going on? Oh, you know, you want this? Get it, get it. You know, like never like that. I, I never push stuff on people. But, you know, I definitely lock in if somebody looks like they're interested in something, you know, we make it happen. So that's what we do. And uh, it's given me the opportunity to uh, get a, a beautiful uh, uh, Black Widow. That is like, I mean, it, it's a miniature, and I know this sounds creepy, but it's a miniature Scarlett Johansson Black Widow. Like, I mean, super highly detailed, uh, amazing uh, hot toy. And then I've got a Bumblebee and Optimus Prime. And it, they just bring me joy. It bring me joy to look at. I've used them for references for drawing. In fact, um, I used the uh, Optimus Prime. I, I ended up drawing a, a head from that model and i mean it just it was so cool it's it's really cool to have a highly de- detailed piece of art that you can reference when you're drawing you know your your thing in your style so i just yeah i look at this stuff and and i think man i just want to maintain it take care of it i have a, a couple of original pieces from uh two different awesome artists um well three three actually original one of a kind pieces um counting the uh, sketch card and, uh, yeah, today it just, it's a day of being grateful. That's, that's what my birthday turned out to be. It's a day of, I took it easy, n- not, you know, crazy traffic, went to go visit places that I enjoy, got myself a, uh, birthday drink from Starbucks and, you know, made them do the works on it. Cause that's, if you don't know, 
you sign up for Starbucks on your birthday, they give you free drink and you can go crazy. You can modify it, put as many shots as you want. You could put whatever syrups you want. You can make it a Trento, which is the biggest, most ridiculous size that they have. You can you can ask for any kind of drink and modify it in any way that you want and they will make it for you and it can you know, you can make that thing $10 and it does not matter. They're like, it's your drink. It's it's free. Happy birthday. Here you go. So, you know, pro tip right there. If you want to uh, sign up for Starbucks and uh, get yourself a free drink once a year and go crazy, I highly advise it. It's pretty great. And um, so anyway, yeah, that's uh, that that's where you know that that that's where i was today that's where my thinking was today was i'm i'm really grateful i'm grateful for this life i'm grateful for what i have i'm grateful for what I, you know i've received and um i'm grateful that my perspective is slowly starting to change and i can start making plans and think about the future about where i want things to go and and how i want things to be managed and uh you know obviously none of this without major input from my wife major input from the kids like you know, this stuff really belongs to them, but, um, but yeah, it'll be a cool conversation and, and put things into perspective. Now that being said, you know, it sounds like I'm getting ready to die. So no, not at all. I'm, I just think it's better to make plans now. Like it's better to work out now. It's better to eat good now. It's better to take care of yourself now so that you can enjoy the future without worrying about things that you would otherwise worry about. And I think putting things in order is always a good idea. You know, making making plans now for the future, in just in case, is always better than letting life just happen to you. Uh, that's that's never a good thing. So, yeah, turning forty seven today was interesting. I feel better now than I did when I was at the end of my thirties, going into my forties. You know, I was almost three hundred pounds. I mean, I I would. I would go up and down. I would be 270 to 290 and then back down again and up and down and up and down. And, you know, I, I just had a very sedentary life and I did not really pay much attention. I mean, it's, it's a bummer to say, but when you have someone who loves you and just accepts you for however you are, in this case, my wife, then uh, the motivation for you to to be healthier and to look better and, and, you know, and the byproduct is to feel better. It's just, it's not there. You know, it really isn't. It's weird and it's sad and it's true, but everybody falls into that trap and it is a trap. It's a self trap that you, you know, that you allow yourself into because you allow yourself to indulge. And that's what, you, that's where you want to be. That's what you want to do. That's our natural, you know, slothiness and, and not for everybody. Obviously what I'm saying is not universal. It, it mainly I'm saying it for me, like this was my state of being and my state of thinking was, Hey, I can just be, you know, slothy and I can, you know, not worry about what I look like. And, and, you know, sure. I don't feel great, but yeah, whatever, you know, I, I've, I'm just going to keep, uh, keep on keeping on and, uh, you know, just letting, um, letting my youth handle, you know, the majority of any aches and pains and anything else that I might feel. And, um, it's just not true. You, you pay, you're going to pay for it no matter what, like that's, uh, you know, 
for anybody right now who's listening to this, if if you don't like the sound of that, I'm sorry, but that's the one universe, one of the many universal truths that I have come to uh, to accept and and to learn is that there is no free ride, there's no free lunch, there's no uh, get out of jail free card. You will pay for it if you decide to, you know, live an unhealthy life. You will you will march yourself into, you know, an early grave and an, an unhealthy mindset. And that's just, that's the way that it works. But if you decide to do something about it, if you decide to suffer in the short term, you will gain much in the long term. And uh, that is the thing that I am most grateful for. I think besides my family, besides my wife and kiddos and, and my extended family and the amazing friends that I have, I am really, really grateful that, um, that I decided to change the way that I eat and change the fact that I wasn't working out and, you know, have, have been making an effort to maintain um, that level, you know, that got me to where I am right now, which is... Uh, you know, almost 50 pounds uh, down from where I was, and I've still got another 20, 30 pounds to go. Really, probably realistically 20 pounds to go before I reassess. But man, I'm, I, I feel, I feel great now. I don't feel great every day. You know, I definitely. One of the other things that I've noticed is that sleep is such a big, big factor in my overall well-being for the day. Like I can dig in and I can push through and I can tap the reserves and get whatever needs to get done, done. But if I get seven hours of sleep, you know, I'm and I'm not even talking about eight, like there's times where I do get eight, but if I get anywhere between six and a half to seven hours of sleep to seven and a half hours, let's say six and a half to seven and a half hours of sleep, if I get in that window, oh man, I... I feel fantastic. And then if I, you know, if I set myself up right with the, the right breakfast in the morning, which involves greens and protein and, you know, this awesome uh, tortilla that is delicious, magical, tastes just like a tortilla, but doesn't have the crazy calories that a regular tortilla does. And it's actually made from really good stuff. I, when I set myself up in the morning, get my coffee, I... I feel fantastic. My day starts out great. And so I, you know, what was it? Uh, last Sunday, I went ahead and had two slices of Sam's Club, P Sam's Club pizza. And boy, was that a mistake. And I make mistakes. And that was a mistake. That was my body immediately reminded me, said, hey, man, you this is not how we eat. Like, you can't do this. Like, this is this makes you feel awful. So don't don't do that. I said, yeah, you're right, body. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to refrain from doing that again. So, you know, even today on my birthday outing, uh, I stopped at a Chipotle, got, you know, the healthiest things that they, that they have and just really enjoyed that. And that was great and didn't have to, you know, drive around feeling like crap and, uh, you know, Chipotle is expensive. I, so I get it. Like if you're listening to this and you're like, Hey man, I can't, eat here and I can't eat there and I can't do this and I can't do that. Another pro tip for you guys, or at least something, I'm going to tell you something that has worked for me tremendously. 
if it works for you, fantastic. And if it doesn't, I'm sorry. But one thing that I get all the time that is a quick and and great, you know, lunch or dinner that leaves me right in that perfect spot is a pollo bowl from uh, Pollo Loco. And it's it's there. It's in their five dollar menu. And, you know, it it's got rice, beans and chicken and pico de gallo and i mean you just you can't go wrong and it's not too much the portions are just just right and um you know it's one way that i'm able to maintain as well like where i i don't walk away from that meal feeling awful and one of the things i've you know one of the things i gave up a long time ago was soda like soda is just out of my life i don't have it anymore you know for many many reasons one I was addicted to the corn syrup 100%. You know, Pepsi was my jam. I know. I know. If you guys out there are Coke people, I feel you. I understand. Coke is better. I get it. I was never a Coke person. Coke is just not my frequency. For whatever weird reason, there is something about Pepsi that just hits, like, perfect for me. And even now, I mean, I literally haven't drank soda in, I think I'm coming up on my third year. Maybe four, no, probably third year. I think I'm coming up on my third year of not drinking soda. And still, still to this day, I, man, every once in a while, I think that slice of pizza would go really great with a Pepsi. But it wouldn't. It just wouldn't. Anything with high fructose corn syrup will not go well with your body. I mean, that's just, when I started reading up, I, the reason I cut that out first it's because I knew I had a big problem with it. So I knew I had to get it out of my life fast. When I got out of my life, I started really reading up on it and trying to really understand what's behind it and what's going on. And as soon as I read that just high fructose corn syrup cannot be processed by your body, your body does not know what it is. Your body can process sugar. Your body absolutely knows what sugar is knows how to handle it. It's been dealing with sugar for thousands of years. We have adapted to it. But high fructose corn syrup, the method of how they make that stuff, and it's in so many things. It's insane. That's the other, like, it's insidious, actually, how much sugar and how much corn syrup and how much uh, just needless crap is in our food. It is, I mean, it is mind-blowing. When I was very, very disciplined and very regiment at the beginning of this journey, which is, I think what really helped me to kickstart the the drop in my weight dramatically besides working out, you know, which I was doing, I mean, I didn't have a job after a while because of the pandemic. So I was working out practically, you know, five days a week, at, you know, three days of running, two days of weightlifting. So I know that for sure contributed to me dropping, you know, weight really fast. But the other thing that, that contributed to that was paying close attention to what it is that I was eating. Now, I'm an uh, uh, animal of habit. So once I once I get stuck on a on a specific eating regimen, I'm able to exist and live there much easier than trying, you know, to incorporate all these different things and trying to, you know, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, you know, trying to change it up and, and and always keep it fresh like that's that's not me. I don't when it comes to, to food and being regimented, I, I don't switch it up. And I can do that with my workouts. I can do that with my running, but I cannot do that with food. Like 
I need to be very specific in what I eat, when I eat it, as close to the time as I can eating it. It just helps me to be way more disciplined. It helps me to cut out crap. It helps me to not go towards crap, you know, which is so easy to do. But yeah, when I started reading the labels of things, I was I literally horrified. I mean, that's not even, I'm not even exaggerating. I was horrified to find out how much sugar is added to things for, for no reason other than we're a nation that is addicted to sugar. And we got addicted to sugar, not, not because it was our fault, but because that is what these companies, uh, you know, pushed on us. Like it, I'll get a little bit political right now. I, because I don't have the answer. I, I really don't know what the answer is. Like smarter people than me, you know, have, have discussed this and debated this and, and tried to figure out what the right answer should be. But I really don't know what the answer is to um, capitalism versus government intervention. And what I mean by that is like, if you just let a company be a company and do whatever a company wants, a company, uh, not every company, because not everybody is everything, right? So like, so this doesn't, this doesn't speak on every single company, but in general, companies want to make profit and they will make profit at, by any means necessary. And so if any means necessary means, you know, taking away some of your years because of the product that they're pushing, they're okay with that because to them, you are just a, you know, you're, you're a statistic and not a person. And it doesn't matter that they have people in their, you know, spot working for them. Oreo doesn't care that it's got, you know, hundreds of, of uh, employees that are, that they give maybe free Oreos to, or Hershey's or any of these other companies that produce this stuff. They, they just, they can't care. They can't because if they did, if they allowed their ethics to get in the way and morality to get in the way, then, you know, we would have a much different product, which is definitely, you know, if you deal with the problem at the beginning, you th then don't have, you're then not forced later to deal with the problem, you know, once you're in the middle of it. Unfortunately, that did not happen. So one of the beautiful things of this country is capitalism. The fact that you or I or anybody can have an idea and take that idea get investment, grow that idea, put it out, be successful, become a multimillionaire, be able to hire people, take care of your family, take care of other people's families by way of you hiring people, paying people good wages, you know, setting up incentives. Like that's all beautiful. That capitalism is amazing. Capitalism that is difficult for many people and that is, you know, the the half truths that have been put out there because there's always a perspective and an objective and an agenda that is put out by people. So people that hate capitalism, they're not telling you the whole story of capitalism. They're usually pick you know cherry picking what they want to put out there that that is true, quote unquote, about capitalism. And then in turn, you're like, well, that sounds awful. Like we shouldn't have capitalism. That's that's terrible. You shouldn't allow companies just to run amok. Well. That's true and it's not true. Uh, you know, definitely you don't want companies pouring crap into water, you know, sources. You don't want companies making things that 
are going to ultimately kill people, be bad for the health. Pharmaceutical companies, I'm looking at you. Um, you know, you don't want that. So you need some kind of oversight because I'm not on the side of the, you know, 100% capitalism people either where, where they say, well, you know, capitalism will regulate itself and companies will regulate themselves. Well, no, they won't. No, they won't. They don't have any incentive to. But, you know, governments coming in and and uh, and doing the regulation, ultimately there is a lot of corruption that comes from that end too because at the end of the day, government wants a taste, you know? And government produces nothing. I think that's something that people forget a lot of the time. When, when you think of the government, you think of the government you know, as having the, having control of the purse, you know? And so when you need a coin, you know, when you need a penny or, or a nickel or a dime or whatever to go purchase your bubble gum, people think of, oh, well, I'm just, I'll go to the government. The government has the purse. And so they open the purse, grab it, give it to you, and then boom, you can go purchase. But that's not actually true. The government produces nothing. All the government does is take. And, the government does have a very specific role, you know, in reality. Government is for governance. So the way that we set it up in this country is we say, hey, there are certain things that are too unmanageable for individuals, whether it be in a city, a state, or a country. You know, whatever level it is, there are certain things that are unmanageable for individuals who already have so much going on. So what we're going to do is we're going to elect these specific people that have, in theory, knowledge and understanding of, of maintenance and manage, management, and they are going to help to manage and oversee and steward this money that we will provide them that they will in turn use to create systems that are efficient, that help the greater society as a whole to maintain and manage the society, the things a society needs to be a society to thrive and to, and to grow. And so what are those things? Managing uh, the law, you know, managing uh, rules on how to uh, maintain the land, and protecting us from outside forces that would, uh, that would be predatory towards us, meaning other countries that would want to take us over. So, you know, that's the, that's the most basic of basic explanations of what the government is supposed to do. And along the lines, we as citizens, we all agree and we say, hey, we're going to give you this percentage of our money so that you can get these things done that in turn benefit us. Oh, and also benefit you because even though you're managing society, you're not outside of the society. You're in it too. So any management that you're doing that is positive actually helps you as, as well. So if our streets are safe, if our schools are great, if, you know, companies aren't poisoning people and they're being managed in the sense of they're being they're being kept to whatever the legal uh, rules that exist around them to function as long as all that stuff's happening 
then everything is hunky-dory and copacetic. The problem that we've run into as a society, as we always do with humans and humanity, and that, you know, we, we have a tendency towards predation within our group, is that these people that we elected to manage are always trying to gain some kind of position and they're always trying to gain some kind of uh, one-up you know, one-upmanship over, you know, the general population. Now, again, is, is it bad to to strive and to, you know, try to get more and to try to, you know, provide for your family and, and, and create, you know, a safety net? No, not at all. It's just not what's happening. You know, what happens is kickbacks and, you know, deals with foreign entities and uh, corruption and, you know, lying and, you know, both on a on a personal level and on a national level. And, you know, so this is where we're at. Like, I, I, I you know, I've been thinking for a few years now, I'm like, man, social media is the problem and social media is like the scourge and... I'm changing my mind on that really considerably. I'm beginning to think social media is actually not the problem. Social media is the spotlight that is uh, that is much needed, that is uh, being illuminated over the issues and the problems that we're facing as a society. And it's not any one individual thing like, uh, oh, you know, corruption from this person or uh, lying from that person, but rather like a like a overall systemic problem that we have with leadership in this country and leadership from my point of view has forgotten their place and what they're meant to be and what their what their function is their function is we give you a little bit of money you make sure that all this stuff get gets maintained and otherwise you get out of the way of the people so as long as there are no crimes that are being committed and as long as there are no you know rules that are being broken then get out of the way, but make sure that the things that are needed, that those things are in place. So, uh, you know, let a city take, uh, pay for a fire department, for a police department, for the schools within that city, for the pickup of the trash and the cleaning of the streets and the maintaining of the people, making sure that they're, you know, homeless people could taken care of, make sure that crimes are, are, uh, swiftly and quickly, you know, met with justice and make sure that, um, you know, that, that there's a, a, a general care and, and, and appreciation and love for the people in your city and, and maintenance of those people as well and the things around them. And uh, it's not what we see. There's a lot of, you know, disheartening things that have happened now over the years. I, I've uh, definitely grown for, away from the idea of a two-party system. I think uh, I, the more and more as I grow older and I think about it, and it's something I was reflecting on today as, as it was my birthday and listening to different podcasts, I, I very much tend to agree that a two-party system doesn't really represent um, everybody in this country. It just can't. It's impossible. You cannot fall into one system or the other system and that those systems meet all of your needs that's actually completely false i think you know and so what should we have should we have 16 systems 20 systems 80 systems 100 systems i think what people should start moving towards 
and this is just my opinion, is people should start moving towards finding and backing candidates that fall in line with what, you know, the individual believes would be a good steward slash manager that will do the work that they're, you know, they're up for. And I don't think it helps us at all to go in cynically and say, well, you know, this person, if they are a politician or they're running for this, then they are automatically that. I think that's the other thing that has hurt us is that um, we're too narrow and too limited and too limiting in our thinking about why people choose civic service, you know, why does a person choose to be an artist or choose to be a police officer or choose to be a fireman or choose to be a musician or choose to be a garbage man or choose to be a superintendent of a school? Like whatever the choice or, or, you know, to be a teacher, like whatever these choices are, those things are the things that need to be explored. Like that's what you're, that's what you should be focused on. So, you know, if, if, you know, Bob is, is going for mayor in, in your city, and, and so is Cindy, and so is Eric, and so is, you know, Amanda, and so is Mike. Like, you need to find out what their motivations are for going into that position. And the only way to do that is to ask a ton of questions and to go to meetings and to, you know, whenever they do the, the what are they called? The, the uh, it's those open, you know, open conversation. I can't remember what the word, a town... Uh, uh, town halls, when they do town halls, like it's your job to go and ask and, and to ask some tough questions. Like, where are you coming from? What's your thinking on this? How do you feel about that? And anybody that can't answer your questions about any, you know, like about most of the things that are important to you, if they, if they refuse to answer the question, then that person is out. Like they, they got to go. Like you shouldn't be, you know, we should not always be in the position to go for the lesser of two evils. That, that's absurd. You know, if I go to this person and I say, Hey, what's your, you know, what's your stance on abortion? What's your stance on homelessness? What's your stance on, uh, you know, marijuana? What's your stance on, uh, crime? What's your, you know, they should have a rapid, quick answer for all those things, because if they're going into a management position, which is what, again, what that is then they should have a ready answer for all of those things. And if they don't, or if they refuse to answer because it's too, quote-unquote, hot or political, they shouldn't be there. I want somebody who wants to be there. That's what I want. Like, yeah, another, another thing that I've heard, you know, for a little while now is that people that want to go into politics are exactly the people that you don't want going into politics because they are corrupted or narcissistic or whatever. I think that is complete bull. I mean, we don't apply that to so many other things that people want to do. So why would we apply it automatically to that? It's because we've been jaded as a society. And that's a way that, you know, the last few years, most of our politicians have let us down severely because we've seen like the mask come off. And then that's what you, you know, you see corruption, but that's not everybody. In fact, the politicians that you don't hear about, and that are managing their locations well. They're an example of the opposite of what we're talking about. It's just the ones, the gross ones, are the ones that get a shine. They're the ones that get the spotlight from, you know, the media. And 
I was for a while in that boat thinking that, that the media was, and you know, you hear this, for example, there's a, a, a fella named Ben Shapiro, whatever you might think of him. He constantly says that the media is on the side of the Democrats and they're a speaking, you know, voice for the Democrats and the da da, and they're intrinsically tied together. I, I don't agree with him. I actually think the media is completely for itself. They are completely not, they're not objective at all. They go for wherever survival is going to come from. All they're looking for is to stay alive. They're looking for money. They're looking for clicks. They're looking for an audience. And so everything gets amped up, sensationalized. You know, if you, if you're to believe the media, then the sky is falling. The end of the world is here. We're about to be destroyed. Godzilla is coming out of the ocean. You know, the sun is going to kill you right now. You're like, that's how the media works. And so they're not beholden or, or, or loyal to any one group. They're loyal specifically, specifically to themselves. And whatever the trend is and whatever the flavor is that is happening, that's what they move towards and that's what they back. So I guarantee you, if it flips the other way and somehow Republicans become super popular and they become like the flavor of the month and all the stuff that they espouse becomes the the general consensus of society and society leans that way, then that's what you will see. You will see the media shift over to that direction and that's what they'll be pushing. That's a drama that they'll be bringing. That is the, you know, because they're, they're not beholden to anybody. They, they're not loyal to any one group. They're loyal to themselves. They're not even loyal to the public, you know, which is originally what their function was supposed to be, right? They were, they were objective journalists who were there to just tell you the truth, regardless of whatever their personal feelings were on any particular thing. At one point in time, at least, that was, I believe the term is the, they are called the third estate. And they're, you know, they're supposed to be this thing that exists outside of favor and um, specific political view. And they are, they are there to make sure that the public knows what's happening in an objective way. And that's not the case anymore. They are no longer objective because their whole goal is survival. That's it. You know, the, the tide turned when everybody had a voice, um, which is what the internet provided for all of us. All of a sudden, some 10-year-old kid who is unboxing toys could have more viewership than any CNN or Fox News segment can. I mean, imagine that you can have a 10 year old kid that is talking about a toy and unboxing a toy. And that kid can have 80 million viewers and completely blow out of the water any news channel organization. And for that matter, almost any event any regular event that is happening, any UFC, any concert, any, uh, you know, uh, sporting event, like a 10 year old kid can have more numbers than any of those things. So all of a sudden, you know, all, you know, the news is left scrambling, trying to figure out like, how do, how do we get that? How do we get to that number? How do, 
you know, it's a survival thing. And so everything just gets super sensationalized. But the other thing, you know, on the other end of it, it's not just a kid who's unboxing. It's also you and me and any average show just giving their opinion on any particular thing, right or wrong. So right now I'm sitting here telling you, one, how my day went. Two, talking about political things, talking about capitalism, talking about, you know, and do I know what I'm talking about? Absolutely not. This is just my perspective and my opinion. And this, none of this is fact. You know, you can go out and find out for yourself and you go, dude, you are completely wrong about everything. Or you might go, well, you got this right. And, but you know, you got all that wrong or you have misunderstanding or whatever. But the point is I'm able to just ramble on and talk about this stuff freely and put it out there for free. And how do they compete with free? How do they compete with, how do they compete with word of mouth also? Like, you're listening to me and you and you go, hey, this guy's an idiot. And you tell somebody at work, and you're like, dude, listen to this idiot. And then that person like laughs at me and they they keep passing it on. And now I've, you know, I'm the number one idiot on, uh, you know, podcasting world and people listen to me and, they, and, and I don't know what I'm talking about. And that just, that, that's a head scratcher for them. And it's a head scratcher for me, honestly. Like I, you know, I totally get that that thing exists, but again, the internet changed the game because they were the number one game in town in town. At one point, the New York times, the LA times, the, the, you know, the Washington post, like all of these things, you know, your local gazette, your local newspaper, like at one, in, at one point in time, they were the only game in town. That is the way that you got your news, you know, and there's always been opposition throughout history to making it, as easy as possible for people to consume information and, you know, forget about, uh, entertainment, you know, uh, any kind of information. Like you got Martin Luther in the 1600s who decides, you know, he's, he's discouraged, uh, you know, by the happenings of the Catholic church and the way that they manage and handle society, because that's what they're doing at the time. They're managing handling society and they're curating what people believe and understand and know. So the Catholic church at one point in time tells you, Hey, your loved one is in perdition. They're not in hell, but they are on their way to hell. But if you give us money and you come and you do this, uh, you know, religiously, you can buy your loved one out of perdition and make sure that they make their way up into heaven. How absurd is that? I mean, Right. You're, you're, you're a 2022 person. You're listening to that and you're like, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Why did people fall for that? Well, we only know what we know, you know, in, in our own time. Like it, it's, your, your, your two-year-old, your five-year-old, your 10-year-old only knows the reality that is around them at the time of, you know, what they're dealing with and what their horsepower of their brain is at that moment. So you cannot expect a two-year-old to be able to manage and handle something that a 20 year old would be able to understand and comprehend. Right. So that's, that's the way society was at one point in time, you know, we were in a two year old level position and the people that were driving and growing society, you know, they were the very few and they were the very specialized and whether Martin Luther meant for this to happen or not. And I don't know that he, that he did mean for it to happen necessarily, he just felt this great need of like, I've got to get the word of God into everybody's hands so that at least everybody has an opportunity to understand what is being said. And then they can come to their own conclusions about it. 
I don't think he understood that that would set the world on fire. You know, the, the printing press plus that, I mean, forget about it. It's just, right? It, it was a, a major cultural reality shift on the planet. And, and I mean, it really, truly did affect the entire planet and set a new, you know, overlay on reality in this world. That's what the internet has done. The ability for, you know, a, a, a schlub like me to be able to put this out into the world and agree or disagree, you know, uh, laugh, you know, laugh it off, laugh me away or, or, you know, pass me along or whatever. Like it just, it's amplified the average person. And so the average person is what terrifies any system, any, and they are an organism, you know, whether it's, it's the government or it's the media or, you know, whatever, like these organisms are now disrupted and they're terrified and they don't know what to do. And they're trying their best to like, put this fire out, but they don't understand this isn't a fire, you know, like, uh, knowledge is not a fire. You know, it's not a bad thing. It's not something that is, that is going to burn society away. Although it does feel like it sometimes rather than a fire, this is a, a Swiss army knife multi-tool that society doesn't quite know how to handle yet. We haven't learned how to manage all the different tools that are in the Swiss army knife and how to, you know, how to be kind to one another as we're, as we're stumbling through learning, you know, that all the different things that are available to us, but it, it definitely is a, a, a reality, a societal reality disruption. And again, I, for one, am, am very grateful for it. And I'm very grateful that, uh, you know, you give me the time of day. I'm grateful that uh, you would listen, that you would recommend me, that you would pass me along. I appreciate you all. I had a fantastic day today. And, you know, thanks for letting me ramble and stream of thought into existence. And now let's get on to some geek news. So I'm going to go ahead and say uh, goodbye for now. And on Friday... It's Morbin time. See you guys later. Love you. Uh, please, I will leave you as I always do. And, and please take this recommendation seriously. Stay hydrated. Drink your water. Take your vitamins. And eat your vegetables, kids. I love you. Bye. <laughs>